We're glad you've joined us today for Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called Joseph, but God meant it for good. And today we're going to listen to the second part of a message called Repentance, Forgiveness, and Reconciliation, Part 2, The Offended. Look back at verse 14. They've returned to the city. Now notice that Judah is going to become a key player here. Judah was, if you remember back in 37, chapter 37, Judah was the one that said, hey, let's not kill our brother. Let's get something out of this. Let's sell him. Perhaps Judah is the one that needed to repent the most, or he's the poster boy for the need for repentance. Verse 14 says, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. Joseph knew they were coming back. And they fell before him to the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? It's not saying he did do it, but he, as a Egyptian leader of that caliber, potentially could. Verse 16, and Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go in peace to your father. What is Joseph doing here? It's interesting that Judah says that God has found us out. Now, we know as the reader that Joseph did this. He set them up. But what's happening is the brothers, again, thinking back to the previous chapters, the brothers are aware that what they did to Joseph over two decades ago, God is dealing with in their lives, and they see the connection. Now, as I said last week, sometimes it takes some time before God is able to work in the offender, before they're able to connect the dots and truly come to repentance. But that's what's happening, and they're making the connection. God has found us out for things we've done that you as the leader of Egypt have no idea, but God is working. Joseph is testing their hearts before God. Now, maybe you're like, well, why is he doing it this way? Well, make the link like this. Benjamin, Joseph could read between the lines and all the brothers were saying he knew that Benjamin now, in his absence, Benjamin was was now the favorite child of Jacob. And what Joseph was doing is he was testing them because here, they have a legitimate opportunity to get, I mean, who loves having a favorite child in the family? If you're one of the siblings, some of you grew up in a painful family situation with where one of your parents loved one kid, and we all know who the favorite child is, and then there's the rest of us. Well, now they have a legitimate chance to say, Benjamin, what'd you do, bro? We're going to lose you in Egypt, and we'll finally be done with all of Rachel's kids, now one of us can actually be loved. Joseph is testing to see what they will do. Now again, repentance is a change of heart. Look back at the text. This is one of the most beautiful and passionate speeches, certainly in Genesis, maybe in all of Scripture, where it reveals a repentant heart. Then Judah went up to him, verse 18, and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word into my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. 
My Lord asked his servants the last trip, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a younger brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. And when we went down to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces. This is where Joseph learns what his father thinks of where he's really at or what happened to him. And I've never seen him since. If you take this one, Benjamin, also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol or death. Now, therefore, As soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Listen, Judah does the opposite of chapter 37. In chapter 37, he tried to get rid of the favored child. Now he's offering to make himself the slave to get the favored child back to his father. It's a totally different state of heart. Listen, Joseph did not crush his brothers or take vengeance. He waited to see if God had changed them. Then begins a beautiful scenario, one of the most beautiful chapters Joseph is hearing all of this. Judah is standing before him passionately asking to be the slave instead of Benjamin. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him and he cried, make everyone go out from me. And no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. They had kind of open houses. They could, the, the sound would have traveled. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Now just imagine this for a second. If the next verse, verse four, were to record Joseph saying, hey guys, I'm Joseph. I need to apologize for some things. You know, 
the old me, the, the kid you knew, I was kind of a snarky, favored child. I kind of rubbed it in your faces. I was kind of a, I wasn't the best brother I could have been. Would you guys please forgive me? How many of us would go out on a limb and say they would have been very willing to forgive right away? Now, most of us, when we think about this text, we put ourselves in Joseph's place. The truth is, we are more Joseph's brothers than we are Joseph. Now, the gospel is here when you think about it. Scripture tells us that we are under the wrath of God, that we have sinned against God, and that we, we have offended him in such great ways but God has forgiven us, but what he asks us to do in exchange is to forgive in small ways other people who have offended us. This is the perspective of true forgiveness, biblically speaking. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Necessary ingredients, grieve loss, leave space for God to work. Here's the third one, obedience. Obedience. Now think about this with me quickly. I need somebody in the sermon. You come in the sermon quickly? I'm going to entrust you with some money. This is only an illustration. This story needs to end with $100 in my, my pocket again. You good with that? Okay, I'll give you a quarter. You can go take a seat. Actually, stay right here. That's good. Right there. You're, you're perfect. You're like, oh my gosh, I got stuck in a sermon. Maybe I deserve to give you this $100 for pulling you in. Okay. Now, what if we worked out a deal and I said to you, if you're willing to give that quarter, which I realize means something to you, to your neighbor, is that your sister? So would you be willing to give her a quarter if I were willing to give you $100? Deal? All right. Here you go. I want to see that quarter in her hands. That's how God deals with us. Often we exaggerate the quarter. We make the quarter as though it's $1,000. But in reality, what God is asking us to do, we have such a debt before a holy God. And God's saying, listen, I forgive all of that. Jesus says he will forgive you. But here's the deal. You need to be willing to forgive other humans. And I'm not minimizing that people hurt us in painful ways. But that's the comparison. Sometimes we ask the question, how many times do I need to forgive? Here's the answer. As many times as you want God to forgive you. Hi, this is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church Columbus. Did you know that these Meeting with God messages actually come from sermons given at our church home, Vertical Church Columbus? You know, in addition to hearing God's word proclaimed every week, you'll find a warm, loving church family of authentic followers of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus, Ohio, but are not currently connected to a church home, we'd love to invite you to visit us at 1290 Old Henderson Road in Columbus near the intersection of 315 and Henderson Road. Continue reading with me. Verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Imagine those words hitting their ears. Because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and that are, there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors 
So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. What makes this passage special is not forgiveness per se. There are other stories with forgiveness. It is Joseph's perspective on God's providence and how it changes Joseph's attitude toward his brothers. Jot this down, number four. Necessary ingredients in the process of forgiveness. Beautiful providence. Now here's what changes our perspective. Usually we look at it as, okay, I just got to obey God and forgive. I don't feel like it. Now there's things we need to do by faith, but we just need to do what God said. But if you want a perspective that will help you to come into what God is doing on a, on a bigger level, realize this. God can take what is done, what is evil, what is, what is wrong, what has been, you fill in the blank, and he can turn it for good. And once you begin to realize that God has a grand scheme, a grand story far beyond what you can see, it begins to enlighten how we forgive. Now here's a question I have for you. Do you believe that God has special purposes for your life? Now most of us would say, yeah, some of them. No, I mean all of them. Do you believe that God has special purposes for all the things that have happened in your life? Romans 8.28 says... For God, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purposes. Here's another question. Do you believe that he can use the hurt and the brokenness and the offenses for good? Now listen, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, forgiveness will make no sense to you. If you do not believe in a creator God who can also create good out of evil, then you basically, you believe in the survival of the fittest. And if that's the case, forgiveness is definitely not for you. Get back at them. Stab them back. Get your vengeance. But the gospel is different. Ephesians, or Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, after saying that there's a time to live and a time to die, a time for this and a time for that, it says God is making all things beautiful in its time. Do you believe that? God is the architect of a beautiful, God is the architect of beautiful and of beautiful providence. God has a script flipping capacity far beyond our ability to see right now. Rich joy comes as we walk by faith, believing in God and believing in God's greater purposes, some of which we will see in this life, like Joseph, where he saw what God was doing, some of those things we will see, in fact, the vast majority will probably be in eternity. But we will see. Do you believe in beautiful providence? But maybe you're like the pastor. I want to forgive. And I believe in God's greater purposes, but I still hate her. I still hate him. I hate them. They tore my life up. They tore my childhood up. They tore up my opportunities. They destroyed a relationship. So what do I do about that? You know, the truth is Joseph may have had moments like that as well. But here's the thing. God turned life-altering pain into life-altering blessing because Joseph was, well, here I'm gonna tell you in a second here, 
The answer is, if you're asking that question, how do I go from, I want to forgive, but I, I still, if I'm being honest, I have hate, or I have disdain, or I have something, and I can't get my heart to a place of love and forgiveness. What do I do? Here's the answer. Go to the text, verse 10. He says to his brothers, he says, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Here's the answer. Invest in the offender. If you want your heart to change towards somebody who has done something evil to you, begin to invest in the offender. Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we begin to invest by faith when we don't feel anything, but we begin to seek the good of an offender, our heart begins to change. Gospel affection follows gospel investment. If I can by faith, Invest in the offender and pray for them and pray for God to bring them to glorious repentance which will be good for them and, 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 and God will begin to bless their family and work in them. If I begin to care for their needs as God gives me opportunity or even giving them unexpected blessing, listen, gospel affection follows gospel investment. It's an important part of true forgiveness. Two more necessary ingredients quickly. Verse 12, and now your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. He had also lost his brother for 22 years. Verse 15, and then he kissed his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers were able to talk. Basically, they were frozen in fear in their jaw, you know, jaw on floor moment. At this moment, after he hugged them, the jaw came back up and they were able to talk to him. The sixth ingredient is a soft heart. Listen carefully. One of the signs of a mature Christian is thick skin and a soft heart. In fact, it's the opposite That's the sign of a broken Christian. Thin skin and a hard heart where everything irritates me and I get along with no one because I have a hard heart. That's a sign of a broken Christian. The brothers are terrified. They're vulnerable. They're guilty. They know it. And Joseph shows them affection. He shows them Jesus They're expecting him to come down, call the soldiers in, and whack one guy at a time. And he comes down, and he hugs them, and he embraces them, and he kisses them. Can you imagine the kiss, not of death, but the kiss of life? Wow. Listen, our prayer should be, God, help my heart to stay soft before you so that I can show Jesus to him or her or them. Verse 16. And when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load up your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. You shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, I love how Pharaoh tells Joseph to do this. 
Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Listen, this is the gospel where offenders who do terrible things end up with the riches of the land of Egypt. That's the gospel. We are the offenders. We end up with the riches of heaven as a result of what Jesus has done. Unthinkable. Verse 21, and the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. Notice carefully what he does next. To each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. And to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, donkeys and provisions. Verse 24, and he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said, do not quarrel on the way. We have one necessary ingredient left. Notice that it says in the text, he says, to each and all of them, every one of them, he gave a change of clothes. Now, I told the story a couple of weeks ago. I said that really you can tell the story of Joseph in four garments. The garment that was torn off him by his brothers, which sent him to Egypt. Then the garment that was ripped off him by Potiphar's wife when she accused him falsely of rape, which got him now in prison. Then the garment that Pharaoh gave him, which was God's renewal and God's approval and God's plan for his life. But here's the fourth garment, the garment that he gives to his brothers. It's a picture of gospel transformation. Joseph is known as a type of Christ, a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. Here's the last necessary ingredient and one we can't miss, the gospel. The gospel. Now, is Joseph being nice to them? Yeah. But I want you to remember something. Go back in the, if you go back to chapter 44, verse 13, do you remember when they find the little cup? They find the little cup in Benjamin's thing. What do they all do? They're like, sweet, we're done with Benjamin. No, they tear their clothes. That's a sign of great grieving, and, and, and it's coinciding with them realizing what God is doing, and they tear their garments, and they, they come back for Joseph. When Joseph saw them come in at that moment when he's confronting them, he could see the repentance in them before Judah opened his mouth. And these same brothers that had offended him so deeply, God put Joseph in a place where he could give a physical expression of a relational reality, which is he put a new garment over their ripped ones. He saw that they had repented and now he gave them grace. That's very interesting. If you go back, this is the last garment story in Genesis. If you go back in Genesis to the beginning of Genesis, do you remember somebody else who sinned greatly? Adam and Eve, how it all got messed up in the first place. If you remember what God does, after he confronts them, it says that the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and he clothed them. In order for him to clothe them with skin, something had to die. An innocent animal had to die in order that they could be physically covered and spiritually covered. In fact, this is often thought of as the beginning of pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. And how in this passage we go back to Genesis 3, but then it forwards us to Hebrews and the Gospels where Jesus, the innocent one, died on our behalf so that we could be forgiven, 
so that we could, all of our naked sinfulness before God, the wrath that we deserve, instead, we are covered by the work of Jesus Christ. His atoning death on the cross covered our sin, and as we're told elsewhere, we are clothed in his robes of righteousness. We are given grace when we deserve punishment. Now, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in just a minute. But I want to ask you this question. Have you forgiven everyone in your life? God will give you, forgive you to the extent you forgive others. But before you begin to think too, maybe God will work in you in that this week. Forgiven people forgive freely. I'm going to ask you as you come up not to think about the people you need to forgive. I'm going to ask you to think about this one thing, your need for God's forgiveness and Jesus' work to provide that grace to you. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. If you missed part of today's message or would like to hear other messages from Pastor Luke Ahrens, please visit our archive of Meeting with God radio programs at our website, verticalchurch.life. There you'll find a collection of past messages from God's Word, which you can listen to easily, as well as share with your family and friends. Also on our website, you can learn how to connect with Vertical Church personally if you're in Columbus or leave a prayer request. As always, we hope you'll join us here tomorrow at the very same time for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.